Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 44 of the Theatrical Mustang podcast. I'm your host, Katie Woodzik. This episode is with Kirsten Delore Helland. She's amazing. She's an actress whose work I've really admired. I loved her in Lizard Boy at Seattle Rep, and I was honored to sit down and chat with her about Green Day's American Idiot, which is going up at Arts West. Runs through October 11th. Get your tickets at artswest.org. And it's a unique production because there are both observational tickets in that that traditional sense of sitting down and watching a show as an audience member, but there's also immersive tickets. And they've turned the entire space into a theater. So if you get that immersive ticket, you'll be led backstage into dressing rooms. I'm super excited to see it. So enjoy episode 44 with Kirsten Delore Helland. I was just saying I was fangirling a little bit a moment ago because I have musical theater Seattle sensation Kirsten Delore Helland is on the podcast. Welcome me. Thank you. <laughs> Are you going to sing the entire interview? That would be a first. Um, no, I would, but I've it. just got to save my voice, you, you see. You have, because you're about, as we record this, you're about to open a show, American Idiot at Arts West. Yes, ma'am. A very original interpretation of this production. Tell me all about it. Well, you know, traditionally American Idiot is done just like um, most every other show you've ever seen. You know, you sit down in a seat and you watch the show and a stage in front of you. Um, Arts West, if anyone's been there, knows that Arts West is interesting as a theater because it's audience on three sides. So, you know, if you say we're doing American Idiot at Arts West, you think, oh, wow, that's really great because it's three sides of American Idiot. Well, bonus, uh, we decided to do an immersive production of American Idiot, which means that uh, we essentially uh, gutted the theater, and there's a few seats in the house that you can buy and you can sit and watch the show like any other production. Or you can do the immersive track, which means you follow actors um, around the theater. We've turned the entire theater into a theater. So we've taken all the rehearsal spaces and closets and hallways and turned it into more playing space. And you follow characters off stage and you watch them go about their lives as if the show never ended or that scene never ended. And um, this is very, very special. Um, as far as I know, no one has ever done American Idiot like this. And I also don't think that this kind of thing has been done in Seattle ever as well. Um, so... We're uh, creating something completely new over there at Arts West, and it's pretty amazing. I'm having a lot of fun. What's the story of American Idiot? Oh, the The music story. is from Green Day, right? The music is by Green Day. Yeah, I mean, Green Day wrote the American Idiot album back in the day, and I mean, I grew up listening to this album. Absolutely, me too. Right. And um, they, you know, they always imagined it as sort of a rock opera and sort of imagined that one day it would become. And then uh, eventually, here we are, and they did make a musical about it, and it is a rock opera. There is very little dialogue in the show. And, you know, if you listen, listen to the album, you know that it is very poetic. The songs, like, yeah. don't really m make any sense. <laughs> like, they do... Because they speak to us and we know what they mean. Like, we know what you're saying. <laughs> but, like, it's not like, 
here's the story of a girl and she's so sad and then she meets a boy and she's happy. It's a far cry from Rogers and Harrison. So far, right? <laughs> but that's what makes it so amazing is it's essentially like up for interpretation and it speaks to you in whatever way you want it to while the entire album I think has a message in its own. But so the but what they've been able to do with the musical American Idiot is they've taken all of the songs and created three characters to which all of the songs apply. So you have Johnny, who is our leading man, and you have his two best friends, Will and Tunny. And um, each of them, all you know, they all three live in this suburban town, and they absolutely hate their lives because there's nothing here for us. The city is run by old people who make decisions for us, and we just we have to get out of here, and we have to find our own dreams, and we're not going to let the man bring us down. So they all go about their lives and unfortunately one of them will his girlfriend becomes pregnant and he stays behind so his storyline is how impregnating his girlfriend changes his life and he has to stay home and then johnny goes to the city and he finds a girl who i play and the girl's name is what's her name (laughs) my name is what's her name he literally one of the lines in the in the show is um i i remember the face but i can't recall the name um and her name is what's her name and so he falls in love with her, and he, like, dabbles in some drugs. He discovers drugs. And then the other character, Tunny, leaves the city um, where he was born, and he joins the army, and you follow his life through the army, and he thinks it's this amazing thing, and it ends up maybe not being that great. Um, so essentially, it's the story of these three boys going out into the world and trying to figure out who they are, and then coming home again with life lessons and um, sort of, like, what happens when you dream really big and you kind of get slammed down, which is, I don't know, sort of the story of all of our lives, right? It doesn't mean we give up. It just means that we have to, like, think again and replan. And there's other um, there's other leading characters in the show. Um, each boy has a love interest. And then the ensemble is sort of like this... They're like an expansive metaphor for everything that these men are feeling. So, like, while they don't necessarily, the ensemble doesn't have specific characters, they are the everyman in the show. Um, So, yeah, it's basically the story of these three men and the story that they go through and their rage and being unable to express it clearly. Yeah. Can you talk about some of your cast, fellow cast members? Yes, I can. So our amazing, amazing Johnny is played by my friend Frederick Hagreen. Um, Freddie, he. This is sort of um, a breakout role for him in Seattle. He's done some stuff at the Fifth. He's done ensemble roles and a couple roles in smaller theaters around Seattle. But this is such an amazing role for him. It is perfect. He looks the part. He sounds the part. He acts the part. Amazing. And he's such a wonderful friend of mine. And I've really, really enjoyed watching him um, grow in this community since he came here. And I've sort of been waiting for this breakout role for him. And he is not a letdown in the slightest. He is incredible. And I am honored to make out with him every night. Um, um, my best friend, Justin Huertes. What? Yes, Justin Huertes. He is in the show. He plays Tunny, the um, military track. Um, and he's, I mean, I think Justin is one of the most talented all-around people in Seattle. And this is... Every time we do a show together, it's like fulfilling another dream of ours. And so I just love having him around. And we don't really get to see each other a lot in the show. Our tracks do not ever cross. But I see him at the beginning. I say, hey, man. And then I see him when we go home. And I love him. He's amazing. And then 
Um, we have an amazing actor playing Will. His name is Michael Cole Gray, and he is from the East Coast. And Eric, our director, Eric Ankrum, directed him in a production of Elf out at Paper Mill Playhouse and brought him out to do this. And he's incredible, too. Chelsea Lavalley is in the show as Heather, Will's girlfriend. And Jimmy Harrod is playing Extraordinary Girl. And Jimmy can sing higher than any girl I've ever met. Um, he is one of the most talented vocalists in the town. And we're honored to have him in this role. I'm so excited to see this. I already had my tickets. It's and a really we'll, great cast. We'll put the um, entire cast list in the episode description. Yes, for this do. for this for this interview. Can you talk a little bit about? I love performing musical theater. If I could mm-hmm. just do that, mm-hmm. that's what I would do as an actor. There's something magical and transcendent about emoting through songs. Mm-hmm. For me, I mean, it's just beyond anything else. Can you talk a little bit about crafting your performances for different spaces? Because you, Arts West is pretty small. Mm-hmm. The fifth is huge. How Does that change how you approach and build your character at all? Um, I mean, a little bit. It's not necessarily um, house size, theater size. It's more um, the, the grandness of the show itself. Like, I, you know, I was taught that nothing is believable if it doesn't come from an honest place. And the second you try to perform something, you've lost your audience because mm. it's not real. You're like pretending, right? People don't want to see you pretend. They want they want to see something that they can relate to, right? So, but I, but I do think, you know, for a space like Arts West, it is very intimate. And this is the most intimate production I've ever done. There are audience members who are part of the immersive track who are sitting about two feet away from me while I'm singing a song. And, um, you know, luckily we are mic'd in the show, so we can be as intimate in our vocals as we want, and the entire audience will hear us. But I think, like, that kind of intimacy, I can't play at the Fifth Avenue. I mean, I think the opposite of playing this role at Arts West is, like, playing Penny Pingleton and Hairspray at the Fifth Avenue Theater, where it was, like, nearly cartoonishly big. But... In, in that space, you know, you've got 2,200 people who want to see your facial expressions, you know, <laughs> and I want to give it to them. So, you know, I'm using my eyebrows like there ain't no tomorrow in that show, <laughs> you know, but, um, but, you know, at a, at a place like Arts West or even Village Theater out in Issaquah, which is also a, a fairly intimate house for how big it is. It's big, but intimate. Um, you can just afford to be a little bit more um, movie esque in your acting where it can be just a little bit more subtle and people will read it but it's also show dependent like if I was doing Hairspray at Arts West I would probably perform in just as grand a manner as I would at the 5th because that's what the show calls for I can't be like the really small and intimate Penny Pingleton because that's not who she is Um, but this is really great because I also just love you know the, the intimate spaces I think are more challenging but right. so much more fun. Like, when it's a quiet moment, you can really be quiet, and then the audience really, really has to listen to you. And you can afford to do that in smaller houses and in bigger houses. You just have to enunciate better, and you have to project. Because that person at the back of the house probably can't hear you otherwise. Right. Yeah. In musical theater, so often there's the iconic image of the actress who's come before, who's played the part... And both with Lizard Boy, where you originated a role, and I would imagine somewhat with American Idiot, where it's not 
a caricature or, you know, everyone has the image of Stockard Channing yeah. as Rizzo in Greece, right? How does is that freeing for you somewhat when you're building a oh character my gosh. you get to sort of have a clean slate about it? Yes, it is the best thing the, the best gift ever for an actor, right? I think I any any role that I've ever played whether it's a new role like in Lizard Boy, a role that I helped originate or a role like Rizzo in Greece where literally everybody knows Stalker Channing and that's Rizzo to them. I cannot and I refuse to go into any show thinking that I have to do it that way, that right. I have to appease somebody by doing it exactly the way Stockard did it. Because I'm not Stockard. I'm definitely Kirsten. And it doesn't... It is not fulfilling to be a part of a production if I don't try and make it my own. Like, what am I doing? I'm just doing the same thing that everybody else did. Well, that's not fun. And why am I trying to be an actor then? Because I'm not doing it well. Um, so, But a show like Lizard Boy, which was a new work... I, you know, I was with working with Justin on that show since the day it popped into his brain, and I literally had my hand in that character from her birth, and she's not dead. So I, but I will have my hand in her until the day that she disappears, if she ever does, and she won't. Um, <laughs> being able to create a character like that, though, from scratch, is the most wonderful gift anyone could give an actor. Because you just get to actually live it. You really get to have a say in how she speaks how she sings, how she walks, how she talks. And then you get to be the person that people remember when they go to play that role. And I would never say you have to play Sarah in the way that I did, but you know, I just I will I will always remember my experience with that show. And with what's her name it's great because people kind of know, they like remember the girl who did it if you YouTube it, but I'm not her. I mean, we are 100% the opposite. Um but I also, I have no idea how she played it. I did not want to know how she did it. I just wanted to create it for my own and make What's-Her-Name me, right? Like, What's-Her-Name doesn't have to be somebody else. It could literally be me. I just don't do drugs like What's-Her-Name. <laughs> but, like, that's an oversight, right? Like, we're basically the same person. That's slight difference. Yeah. Yeah. slight difference. But, yeah, any show, I try and go in and make it my own, my own version of the character. I want to hear more about the writing process of Lizard Boy and how... Mm-hmm. Your friendship, can you go into your friendship with, let's track the arc of your friendship with Justin, and how did it sort of, not that it's the pinnacle, but that must have been just a uniquely, artistically satisfying experience to do that show with your pal. Tell me, tell me about this friendship and about that production. Truly, I've never been more spoiled. Um, Justin and I met in college. We both went to Pacific Lutheran University, and I came in as a freshman, he was a sophomore, and we were auditioning for this like musical theater review and we were at this dance audition and it was so much fun and then this boy walks over to me and he goes I'm I'm sorry I'm sorry uh but are you Kirsten Delore Helen I was like uh yeah <laughs> he goes I just want to say that I saw you um at the Fifth Avenue Theater's high school musical theater awards last year and you were so incredible and um basically let's be friends and we've been best friends ever since and uh, so we grew up in this theater program together at PLU and have essentially been inseparable. And, you know, in, in college, I, I've never dabbled in the um, writing world. I, I don't know. I just um, don't connect to it that well. But Justin has always been interested in writing plays. And he took a lot of playwriting classes in college. And uh, I remember we were at his apartment one night and we were 
just talking and having a good time and talking about boys and relationships and drama. And I was giving him like life advice, like you do best friends. And then he wrote a scene for his playwriting class and asked me to be in it. And I read the script and was like, I said that he literally like took the words out of my mouth and put it in a play. And I was so honored. I was so humbled. I was like, I am in your show forever. Who knows what will become of this one act. (laughs) And um, so, so, <laughs> so then skip to, um, the Seattle rep commissioning him to write a play. And originally they thought it was going to be a one man show where Justin plays the cello and talks about his experience on the tour of Spring Awakening. He, he toured with, um, one of the national tours of Spring Awakening as the cellist. Oh, great. And so they were like, that's amazing. You should you should write a play for yourself and play the cello because you are amazing when you play the cello. It's so captivating. He was like, no, okay. And so they like started having some meetings, him and Jerry Manning. And eventually they found out that they both had this obsession with comic books, obsession with comic books. And somehow skipped to lizard boy popped into both of their heads. He was like, you should write a play called lizard boy about a boy with lizard skin and superpowers, and it's going to be a comic book musical. It's going to be great. Who do you want in your play? And he was like, uh, Kirsten Helland. I want Kirsten Helland in the play. And Jerry was like, I don't know who that is, but I want her too. And so <laughs> uh, Justin called me and said, I'm writing you a play. I'm writing a part for you in my play, and it's going to be a musical, and you're going to be in it. And I was like, I, 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 Seattle rep, I, I, okay. <laughs> you don't say no. And then one of our really good friends, Bill Williams, uh, was next up in the in the casting offer and then we spent two and a half three years together workshopping the show multiple times at seattle rep and justin you know did wrote all the music all the lyrics wrote the book but the whole beginning was like us in a room with paper on the walls and jerry essentially like teaching us how to write a play and make it interesting and asking us questions like kirsten who is siren and me being like i i don't know but this and i mean like to be in a room and have the writer and Jerry Manning say things like, well, what do you think, Kirsten? And what do you think, Bill? And Kirsten, help me come up with a harmony. Or let's teach you how to play this instrument. And what sounds more natural for you to say, this or this? And, you know, just literally helping create this character. And then Bill helping create that character. And Justin writing for me. And Justin... Justin knows my voice better than anybody in the world. Like Justin has been writing music and we've been singing together for a couple of years and he'll say things like, I wrote you a song and he'll come and it's like literally the most perfect thing for my voice in the world. Like why can't every composer write music for me that way? <laughs> um, and so to come to a rehearsal and he's written a new solo for me and it's like perfect and allows me to wail and he just, he knows it. I mean, to have a writer know what sounds good coming out of your mouth, like verbally and musically is such an incredible gift and the fact that he thought to write a role for me and to put me in this play is like the most humbling experience ever and just spoiled I mean it was the most artistically fulfilling with it from birth I know it like the back of my hand I I mean spoiled for life and Justin and I outside of Lizard Boy and doing shows together we have a duo and we call ourselves Hanshin and Ilsa (laughs) which is um to honor the first show in Seattle that we did together. We did Spring Awakening together at Balligan Theater, directed by Eric Ankrum, who is directing us both in American Idiots. 
And I played Ilsa and he played Hanshin and we just decided one day, you know, we're not, we weren't doing anything very artistically fulfilling at the time. And we were like, let's just like make a band and sing and people should listen to us and we'll make videos. And so we sing and Justin writes original music and sometimes we do covers and he, he's taught me how to play many instruments and we go around and we do weddings and parties and basically just dick around singing and people seem to enjoy it and we have a YouTube channel and it's very odd but it's us and we're ridiculous and he's my best friend I love him what instruments has he helped you add to your repertoire <laughs> Justin where does what's the list I mean so in college he music directed a production of Company that we did at PLU and he was like and Kirsten you're gonna play the flute I was like I definitely don't play the flute he was like cool but like it's, like, not hard. Just You're going to do you're it. You're going to do it. It's going to be great. I was like, I guess I'm going to learn the flute. And then I did. And he was like, wow, she can pick up any instrument. So since I've been in Seattle, I mean, for Lizard Boy, you know, I, I don't play any instruments. And for Lizard Boy, I played the piano, a uh, little guitar, the ukulele. I'm big on the ukulele right now. <laughs> Love the ukulele. Um, I'm a masterful kazoo player. I'm not sure if you've YouTubed my kazoo skills, oh, but wow. I'm like actually really good. Um, the melodica, tambourines, the shaker. I mean, like so many instruments. I've not mastered the cello. I'm a little afraid of the cello. Also, it's like Justin's thing. And I feel like if I do it, he'll be like, but that's my thing. No, that's not true. He would love it. He'd be like, play the cello all the time. Let's do it together. Um, the flute was definitely the worst, but <laughs> I'm really not that great. But I did it for him. But he just, he believes in me more than anyone, I think. He's like, you can literally do anything you set your mind to. And so he'll say things like, I need you to play instruments for Lizard Boy. And I'll be like, but I don't know how. And then he'll put a like instrument in my hand and then I'll just learn it and do it. And he makes me feel so talented and smart. I am smart. And <laughs> yes, you are. And Justin, we love you. I love you, Justin. We'll have to get him on the podcast. Oh my too. god, bring us here together. It'd be so oh funny. Gosh. You would die laughing. It's happening. It's happening. La, Down the la. road. You heard it here first, folks. I wanted to ask you, taking it way back a little mm-hmm. bit, what was the first musical that you ever watched as a kid, either on stage or as a movie, that you watched it and you were like, oh my god? That That is what I want to do. I want to be one of those people. Well, my mom raised me watching movie musicals like Judy Garland, Fred Astaire, Gene Kelly, like, seen them all, right? And that was sort of normal to me. Like, I just grew up in this musical theater household. And I was literally that kid on the preschool playground <laughs> who thought that the world was a musical and would sing everything. And I remember my friends looking at me like, what? Stop it. Like, who are you? And I'd be like, come on, sing with me, everyone. And they're like, that's not real life. And I'm like, you're not real life. Oh. And I just sing everything. Um, grew out of that, kind of. Like, I think life is still kind of a musical. But I remember um, my mom took me to go see Cats at the Paramount when I was in elementary school. And I, I recognize that Cats is a faulty musical. It's like, there's no plot, okay? I understand that, people. And it's a bunch of grown people dressed up like cats and dancing. I understand. But I saw it in elementary school, and it literally changed my life. I don't, I honestly couldn't tell you what the moment was. I was so young. But I left that theater thinking, like, I have to do that for the rest of my life. 
there's something so magical about it and just the freedom and the expression and that like started my obsession with like wanting to actually do shows um and I know that cats is stupid but it's true it changed my life and I was like mom buy me the the movie version of cats she bought me the movie version of cats memorized all the choreography painted my face tied a belt around my waist (laughs) called myself a cat and then made my friends watch it and made them memorize the choreography and then we danced for my librarian teacher in the library during recess I am so cool. <laughs> um, and I, I've just, ever since then, I've wanted to do shows. And my mom had me, you know, she had me wait until high school to start doing shows because she was like, school's really important and I need her to understand and get that instilled in her that education is more important than um, only focusing on musicals. Um, she was totally right. And so in high school, I started doing them. And I loved it, and I was like, this is what I want to do with the, for the rest of my life. And then I did a production of The Sound of Music my junior year of high school, and I played Maria, and it was so much fun. And then I remember one time during, like, a rehearsal, I looked off stage, and all my friends were, like, douching around and having a great time. And I was like, why am I, not a, why am I on stage out here? Like, I want to be with my friends. <laughs> life is so hard. And I was like, I'm never doing another musical again. And then I decided to go to college and do psychology, like get my psych degree. And um, and then I auditioned for the musical that year. And I mean, it's it's been musicals ever since. Like totally changed my mind and got my theater degree. What was that first musical? Cabaret. I was Sally Bowles. And it changed my life. Freshman year. Freshman college. year. Yeah. And I remember that um, there was a girl who really wanted it, who was a senior, and she didn't get Sally Bowles. And we were not friends for, like, a day, and then we were friends after that, and now we're friends again. Um, but that's hard. Like, when you're a senior and you want that lead, like, I hear you, but, like, sorry about it. I got it, and it changed my life, and I'm so happy that it did. And my professor had said, you know, you should really audition for the musical. And I said, I don't know. I mean, theater, like, seriously, I don't know if I can – I don't know if that's a smart idea. And he said, you will regret it for the rest of your life if you don't audition for this musical. And I thought, that's a little dramatic, but fine – And then, I mean, I think he was totally right because I just can't imagine it is theater and art. Art in general is just everything to me. I mean, that's how I express myself and it's how I deal with my emotions and it's helped me become a better human being and helped me learn how to like actually have conversations with people and just like it's changed every aspect of my life. And I just wonder sometimes what my life would be like if I had not followed theater as a career. I mean, maybe I wouldn't know Justin. I definitely would not have done Lizard Boy, which has, like, made me such a better human being. And um, I wouldn't have met the wonderful people that I've met and be a part of this incredible theater community that we have here. I mean, like, Seattle's theater community is top, top-notch, kids. Top-notch. Yeah. What have been some of your favorite roles that you've played? Like, if we're doing, if we're insiding the actors, studioing it, which which ones are James Lipton gonna highlight? What what are the sort of high points for you? I mean, definitely Siren and Lizard Boy. Um, one of the greatest things I've ever played. Uh, one of the greatest roles I've had the opportunity to play. Um, I recently played Rizzo in Greece at the Fifth Ave, and 
I loved that role. I also played that in college, and it was fun to go back and, like, do it right <laughs> this time now that I'm more educated. Um, what else have I loved to play? I loved playing Penny Bingleton at the 5th. Um, there was a new show, a uh, new work that the Village Theater did a few years back called Trails. Um, oh, right. It was, and Eric Ankrum also directed that. Eric and I worked together a lot, I guess. And um, I got to play the female lead in that. Her name was Amy. And um, I just had a wonderful time playing that. And that was a new work that was also really fulfilling. We were very much a part of the writing process and the re recreating of songs and, you know, having songs written for my voice. So I just loved it because it was that kind of a new work experience. And I loved the story. And I also loved playing Kate Monster in Avenue Q at Balogun, <laughs> directed by Eric Ankrum. And Justin was also in that. And I loved playing Ilsa in Spring Awakening. I mean... There hasn't really been a role that I've played in Seattle that I've not really loved and connected to. Um, I've been very, very, very fortunate in my career so far in Seattle, and I'm, like, so humbled and grateful for every opportunity to play these roles. And um, sometimes I, like, think I'd like to go back and play those roles again. Like, I'm literally waiting for the third reincarnation of Spring Awakening so I can have one more pass at Ilsa. Like, just give it one more go. Or, like, Avenue Q or any of these shows. Um, and I'm really looking forward to playing Maria this winter. That's going to be a huge challenge. Sound of Music. Yes. To Fab. Yes. What's it like returning? I don't think I've ever had the opportunity to come back to a role. I've come back to plays mm -hmm. and play musicals and play different roles than before. But what... How are you preparing for that? You know, you played it in high school. Oh, yeah. I... Um, I've already started, um, the, my prep work for the show, um, lots of research. You know, what's great about playing a character who's a real human based off of a real human is you have so much material to go into. Um, and I just want to know all about her and, you know, everyone's so familiar with the iconic Julie Andrews. I'm not Julie Andrews. I don't plan on trying to be Julie Andrews. I definitely plan on doing my own take on the role. Being true to the script, I mean, it's all there for me. I don't need to make anything up. But the real Maria was, like, straight up a tomboy. She showed up to the convent with, like, a pickaxe and, like, rope and was like, I'm ready to join the nuns. <laughs> and they were like, cool, can we have that axe now, please? <laughs> like, can you just give that to us? I mean, like, straight up. I did not show up to my audition with a pickaxe and a rope, but that is so my personality. I'm so down to earth and like kind of a tomboy myself. And to know now that she was that kind of a person, like of the earth and like grew up like camping and literally like running through the woods, like chopping things down and climbing trees makes me just feel so much more confident that I can do this. It is a very big role. It's my first leading role of the fifth. And I'm, I've never been more excited. I am nervous. Um, but I'm not nervous because, because I don't think that I can do it. I'm nervous because um, I, cause people, are, cause people have an idea of what they want to see. And what I'm nervous about is that people are going to come and, you know, not see 
that I'm so cool <laughs> as Maria. They're going to see that I'm not Julie Andrews. And I'm really hoping that people will just have an open mind and come and enjoy themselves because Maria is awesome and there are so many ways to play her. And I plan on being very truthful and being true to myself and to the character and doing her justice. Um, and, you know, all the prep also involves, like, I have guitar lessons right now and I'm taking vocal coachings and already approaching the music. And... It's a different show. I mean, leading up to this, I'll have done three rock shows in a row. It is a not a rock show. I hear I hear that Sound of Music is actually sort of a classic. So <laughs> I'm like trying to prep for that. Um, and I'm excited to show people something that they've not seen me do a lot of. Um, it's going to be great. And it's an acting, an acting role that I'm stoked to play. It's not like, it's not What's Her Name. It's not Siren. It's not Rizzo. It's this like, very confident, strong woman, you know, who believes in something with all of her being and is just trying to find out how to serve God the best. And, you know, it finds confusion, you know, and having to, I mean, I, I, I think the story is very compelling. I think that there are things about Santa music that people don't think about. And I'm, I've never been more excited to dive into an acting role because there's so much stuff there and I've never realized it before in high school. I, I did not think about like, the struggle between, like, the, the inner struggle that she was dealing with when she was like, I'm just trying to find out how to serve God best and falling in love with a man and being like, oh, my, that is just not acceptable. But, like, maybe that is what God wants for you. I've never thought about that. So to do it in high school and not think about it that at all and be like, oh, the music's so pretty. Look at me prance. And to, like, actually come at it from an acting standpoint, I'm stoked. I'm stoked. That's so – obviously, podcasts are an audio medium, but to hear you – you're gesticulating. You're just so I'm all over the passionate place. My hands are it. everywhere. Yeah. yeah. I'm really excited. And the rest of the cast is incredible. I mean, a lot of the actors in the show I've been watching for years and being like, oh, my Lord, when is it my turn to act with you? You are so good. And this is like the actors of Seattle. I've never been more blessed to be in a show with some of these people. It's going to be great, kids. It's going to be great. Come see the sound of music. <laughs> You were talking a little bit earlier about how this community here in Seattle, the mm-hmm. Seattle theater community, it's it's popping, it's thriving, it's we are ripe, alive. it's juicy. Mm-hmm. What are some of the other productions this fall that you're excited to go see, or you have friends in, or you want to point people towards? I think that everyone should go see um, John Baxter. John Baxter? Is a switch hitter over at yes. Intima? Yeah. yeah. In this moment, I was like, John? But it's definitely John. John Baxter is a switch hitter. Um, I think Intamon is, like, so alive right now. Andrew Russell is, like, one of my favorite people in town. And um, I'm really excited about everything that they're doing over there. Um, I'm not sure if I'll be able to go see it, but I want everyone else to go see it. Um, let's see. What else am I really excited about? This fall? What else is going on this fall? I'm so, like, in my own world right now. (laughs) All I care about is John Baxter and American Idiot right now. You know, I think um, it's not this fall, but later this year, Act in the Fifth are doing a co-pro of Assassins. Which is, like, it's so exciting. It's one of my favorite Sondheim shows ever. So look for that this spring at uh, Act Theater, Assassins by Stephen Sondheim. The Fifth is doing... I feel like I'm talking about the fifth a lot, but I'm just really excited about this project. They're doing a production of Paint Your Wagon, um, but rewriting it. Um, Paint Your Wagon, 
I mean, people kind of know it. They know the music really well. It's this gorgeous, gorgeous, incredible score. But, like, it wasn't very popular back in the day because the book was really, really bad. But The Fifth got the rights to rewrite the script. Oh, um, awesome. Rewrite the story. So I'm really excited to see what they do with that. Brian Yorkie is directing a production of My Fair Lady at the Village. And My Fair Lady is just a classic. I think it's one of the best musicals ever. It's just so good. I mean, there's really nothing wrong with it. I mean, you, I could get in a fight with someone about it, I'm sure. But, like, it's pretty darn good, kids. And Brian Yorkie is directing it. Um, Brian Yorkie famous for directing, you know, Next to Normal. Um, so anything that he does is wonderful. In terms of composers, are, what, what musical theater composers are you drawn to? Like, who do you like performing? Stephen Sondheim. Yes. He is? Gosh, there's something... How do I put into words the genius that is Stephen Sondheim? He he writes, his music is like what human brains are. You know, you listen to the music and you think like, it's very, it's very, um, gosh, I wish you could see my hands right now, but it's like, like shaky hands. It's literally what our brains are and how we think. Like, we're not very put together human beings. We don't like walk around with the perfect sentences all day long. We're frantic. And we sing, we do patter songs in our brains. I mean, I think Stephen Sondheim also, I mean, one of my favorite shows that he's ever done is Sunday in the Park with George, which to me is like the epitome of artists, right? Like George, the struggle that George goes through in the show with having like his art and also his personal life and trying to balance the two and not being able to understand why people who aren't artists can't understand why he's so passionate about his art. And right people who aren't and then like the girl that he's in love with like not understanding how he can care so much about his art and not so much about her like and the struggle basically it's like it's that it's the artist versus the non-artist and I think we find that in everyday life I mean I've tried to date non-artists before and they just I don't know they just don't get it (laughs) why do you got to go to rehearsal all day be like because I like my art yo leave me alone and (laughs) but he just like speaks for his soul and he talks about things that are true and real and things that some people don't want to talk about and sometimes things that make you uncomfortable and relationships and like real relationships and not like musical theater relationships and he's amazing and his music is absolutely incredible and like blows my mind um who else do I love Justin Huertes <laughs> so it's pretty much Sondheim and Huertes and Justin yeah those two okay mm-hmm. I like your list. It's a great list. Thank you so much. Speaking of lists, mm-hmm. bucket list as mm. an actor. What are some of the roles that you haven't played yet that you're going to make happen? Um, I really want to play, this is so silly because it's just a fun, silly show, but I really want to play Princess Winifred in Once Upon a Mattress because Carol Burnett played Princess Winifred and I want to be Carol Burnett. <laughs> She's my idol. Um, I really want to play the witch in Into the Woods. I want to play Adelaide in Guys and Dolls. I want to play George in Sunday in the Park with George, which is obviously not a female role, but I don't really care. I want someone to do a gender bender, and I, saw, I want to be George. Did you see, there was an all-female production of 1776. I heard about it. I didn't did. get to see it. It was absolutely incredible. It That's completely amazing changed the way I thought about casting musicals, but anyway... Continue. Yes, so George. Mm-hmm. Sunday George. in the Park with George without qualification. Without qualification. Um, I would also like to play Dot in Sunday in the Park with George. I would love to play Bobby in in Company. I mean, I think we're starting... Musical theater is 
getting so much cooler these days because people are starting to think outside of the box, which means that I'm thinking outside of the box and not limiting my bucket list to only female roles. I think that there are some roles that are universal. I mean, most roles are universal. Like the struggles that a male artist goes through in Sending the Park with George, why couldn't a woman go through those same struggles? Why, why does Bobby and company, I, a woman could go through the same things that Bobby goes through. Right. Um, what other roles would I love to play? I mean, Maria was never on my bucket list, but like now it is like now that I think about playing Maria, it's like, okay, I'll just check that one off. Um, I don't know. In terms of classical theater or straight plays, are there any roles you want to sink oh, your teeth gosh. into? I, I would love to, um, I would love to play Juliet one day in Romeo and Juliet. I did it. I played Juliet with Justin as my Romeo in a scene in college, and pretty much I haven't touched Shakespeare since college, and it was, I love Shakespeare, and it, I think it's, I'm really sad that I've not been able to dabble in it since I've graduated, um, but I hope to soon. Um, I would love to play when I'm older, I'm not age appropriate right now, but when I'm older I would love to be in a production of God of Carnage. Um, oh, yeah. And more than that, I would like to direct that show. I would love to direct a production of God of Carnage. Um, I love that play. I love that play. Um, oh, my gosh. Straight plays. I would love to be in any Tennessee Williams play. I mean, they're just shows that I love, and I really don't care who I am. I just want to be involved. You know, I think I, I you feel that way about musicals, too, but... I've not been able to dabble in the straight play world, really. And I'm really sad about it. I mean, I've just been really so humbled and blessed and very, very lucky to be as successful as I have been the last few years in the musical theater world. And um, if anyone called me in to audition for a straight play, I would leap. Um, But it just hasn't worked out yet. Um, But I'm really hoping in the next year, really, to make an appearance at some some straight playhouse and just act and not sing for a second. Sometimes I think it'd be really cool to not sing for, like, a play. Like, that'd be great, right? To not like, sing an entire just, note. Just not to sing at all. Like, or even be in a musical where maybe I just don't have to sing. Like, that'd be, like, cool once. I mean, I love, I love musicals. You're totally right. I think you mentioned earlier, you know, there's something so magical about being able to express yourself through song. The music... Whether you like musicals or not, we all connect with music. Everyone loves music. It doesn't matter what you like. You connect with music. It speaks to your soul. It is an expression of the soul that you cannot use words. You like it, it's just what anything and you know being able to do musical is like a heightened form of expression, right? We feel it in our soul. Like sometimes you feel a little folky and you want to like sing a little bluesy or you want to like belt and like really just smile at the world. I mean, so. I would do musicals till the day I die, but I do hope to do some straight plays soon. Cast me. <laughs> Seattle rep, call me. Intamon, call me. I'm available sometimes <laughs> to come in. Do you ever do karaoke? Um, do I do karaoke? Yes I know it's a, it's and an no. Odd segue. Yes and no. I um I don't do karaoke um when I'm in a show. Um, save your voice. Yes, save my voice. Um, some I, I like joke around all the time that I'm a grandma because when I'm in a show, 
Um, you know, my job is um, to be healthy and 120% ready to go for the show. And I don't want to um, ruin that by going out and talking all night. So I don't really go out either. I don't drink when I do shows. I don't go out really and talk a lot after shows. I'm pretty quiet. I like go to the gym and I take my vitamins and I drink my water. And I definitely don't do karaoke during shows because, I mean, those environments are a recipe to lose your voice. Unless you're, like, one of my amazingly talented friends who never lose their voice. And I'm like, how do you do that? Please teach me your way. Um, But I'll, like, go and listen for a little while and then go home because I'm a grandma. Um, But when I'm not in a show, I love karaoke. I love Rockbox because you can, like, be in a private room and you can just sing as much as you want. And it's just, like, you and your friends. That's the best. I haven't done it in a while, though. Um, But when I go, I love to sing Alanis Morissette. Yes. I'm obsessed with Alanis Morissette and Pink. And, um, Blue Cantrell did a song called Hit 'em Up Style. And I love that song. Hit 'em Up Style. It's like an R&B song. And I just love it. I just want to be that song. But pretty much just Alanis Morissette. It's just, the reason I asked that is when you were talking about how music touches us all. Yes. I find that the more and more, because I'm a karaoke fiend, I think I went, we ended up going three times, I just turned 30, we ended up going to three different karaoke joints Within a week That's to celebrate my birthday. So good. That's a lot of karaoke. <laughs> but it's not only the performing anymore for me, it's seeing what songs other people choose. Oh, I love that. And how, especially, you know, I live on Whidbey Island and there's a small a small bar where kind of all the locals go late on Friday nights. And seeing that might be the only artistic expression they get in their mm-hmm. entire week. Mm-hmm. And how that raises the stakes of karaoke emotionally, if that makes any sense. Oh, it totally does. And if it's like a busy night, you get like one shot. You better pick one song that you love or you're going to be there for a couple hours. I, when I do go to, like, if I do go to karaoke and it's rock box, it's with like my friends and most of my friends are in the theater community. So, you know, we're very musically inclined and we don't perform for each other. We, we sing karaoke just like anyone. Like we're not singing like show tunes all night, but I love going to karaoke bars where I know musical theater people will not be because like dive bars in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. Because, because that's exactly it. Like you sit and you watch these people you've never met before people like that. You don't think would be very talented people and go up and sing a song and whatever song they pick means so much to them. They're like, this is my favorite song. You know, they sing it every Friday night when they come to karaoke. But like what I love is when you think like, when you make, you know, a judgment you shouldn't make, which is like that probably that person probably can't sing very well, and then they go up and they like wail their face off on some Celine Dion or Whitney Houston, you're right. like, oh damn! Like they just brought it. Whoo! I picked a weird song. I was just gonna sing like a rap song, but you just beat you. I mean, that's what I love about karaoke. And I've heard some crazy songs. Like some people pick some crazy songs, but you can also like what I love is watching people go up and they get really into it. <laughs> like it's like a breakup song or like a rage song and they're like foaming at the mouth singing the song you're like okay get it out girl come on sing it sing it for me my most morbid karaoke performance i don't know why so again this little dive bar on would be i shouldn't say a dive bar this small bar on would be island um there's one guy who does all the karaoke for would be island steve he's that. amazing hi steve uh hi steve and he He's one of those uh, karaoke... He doesn't edit. Like, he'll 
put in the songs that some, you know how some DJs are like, no, no one's going to want to hear this. I'm going to exactly, pull this out. Yeah. So I had just, this is so bad. I just found out that my ex-boyfriend had moved in mm-hmm. with his new girlfriend that he left me for. Oh, yeah. And so I put in, I dreamed a dream. Yes, girl. And he let me sing it. No. At He's like, I dreamed a dream. Night. She needs to sing this song. I don't think I he knew what it was. And so oh. <laughs> he may not have known to, you know. Knows, um, knows. So I'm up there and it is slow. You do not realize how slow that song is until you are up there. Mm-hmm. A little karaoke bar. But it was cathartic. It was cathartic. I, I mean, that, that is. You needed it. Sometimes you just got it. And sometimes it's a show tune. Shameless. Like, who cares? Sing your show tune. Sing your heart out. Sing your heart out. I like that. I think that can be the overall message of this interview. Sing your heart out. Do you think people should re-listen to the album before they come see American Idiot? Or would you... What should people do to prepare for this show? Well, ladies and gentlemen, if you're going to buy an immersive ticket, um, be prepared to move around a lot and be prepared to um, come out of your comfort zone a little bit. You know, I think people have a very strict idea about what theater is. You sit in a seat and you watch the movie in front of you. But this is the opposite of that. We are very much in your face, but in the best way possible. It's not scary. Don't be intimidated. Don't be scared. Be really, really excited to experience something completely new to this area. Um, As far as listening to the soundtrack, I mean... If you want to listen to the... Listen, I listen to that Broadway cast recording every single day when I'm on that treadmill, you know, like, sing it to me album. But if you're going to listen to anything, I'd say listen to the Green Day album, man. That is art. Yeah, that is like... If you've never heard that album, you have not lived, okay? You need to listen to it. It is so incredible. It is so relevant. The show is so... Relevant, and I think you know something that something that happened um, during our preview process this last week is we had a lot of like arts with volunteers and donors come to be our guinea pig audiences. We're so grateful to them, but they are of an older generation. Typically, you'd think like probably not the kind of people that we're gearing the show towards, but they loved it. And one of the volunteers told me that the show is this generation's hair like when she was a kid she had hair and hair was that that exact same thing like this is how we express ourselves and this is a new generation and the man doesn't understand us and like we just want to like be free and love and like war is bad and all this stuff and this is this is our version of that it's just this generation's hair and she was so right and she was like the music is different than she's used to, but she was like, it doesn't even matter. Like, the story is the same. And it's young people trying to express themselves and trying to tell you something. And she was like, I went through that too. I loved it. And that meant a lot to us, you know, because we don't want we don't want this to just be a show that young people come to see. Because theater can touch anybody if they come with an open mind and, like, come to listen to the message and not think about how loud the music is you know like that's not what the show is it's not loud music it is an expression and I was thrilled that this woman had those wonderful things to say and she was so right she's so right yes yes thank you go see American Idiot please come see American Idiot it runs through October 11th at Arts West get more info and tickets 
try to get the immersive ones while they last. Do it, yeah. At artswest.org. Kirsten, thank you. You said I could call you Kiki by the end of the podcast. You totally can call me yes. Kiki. Thank you so much for coming on. This has been amazing. This was so much fun. Thank you. Thank you.